Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got a wonderful show planned, as always. I've got Rob Louie coming on in just a minute. He is, uh, of course, my Washington, D.C. go-to guy, and he's also the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And Dr. Greg Borgon is going to be in studio. We're going to talk about David and Uriah. So much to learn about betrayal and honor and murder and forgiveness and lies and truth and lust and consequences. That's all coming up in this hour and then Rick Matson and John Afonso are going to be in the studio for hour two. We're going to respond to three critical questions. I'm going to, not even going to tell you what those questions are quite yet. But in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Rob Blue is a father, so I want to listen to his instructions. Rob, welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, how are you? Oh, we're doing well. Uh, Congress is back in town in Washington, so it's a busy week here. But, uh, you know, all is uh, well so far. Um, but uh, it, is, <laughs> it is getting uh, busy. I will tell you, there's a lot of deadlines coming up in Washington, and, um, and it's not getting any easier to get the big, big stuff done, it seems. Yeah. Before we start about Washington business, can we start uh, with the exciting news around the Heritage Foundation with a new president being named? That's right. Well, you've had our, our current president, Kay James, on the program before. Yes, and she I has have. Been a fant- she's been a fantastic leader for almost the last four years. Uh, but she's stepping down on December 1st, and we'll have a, a new boss coming in. His name is Kevin Roberts. He uh, comes out of academia. He comes out of the state-based think tank world. He's currently president of the Texas Public Policy Foundation and uh, former president of Wyoming Catholic College. Uh, and, uh, and Bill, I can just tell you this is a fantastic decision on the part of our Board of Trustees. We're so excited for, for him to come in, bring a new, fresh perspective. Somebody who is not based in Washington, D.C., comes from a state that is experiencing just tremendous growth and, uh, and hopefully bringing some fresh ideas to what they've been able to accomplish in Texas uh, to Washington, D.C. Well, uh, I'm a little biased, Rob, but I would have voted for you as the president of the Heritage Foundation, ah. just so you know. <laughs> Well, thank you, Bill. I appreciate your confidence. I do. I have <laughs> a lot of confidence kind of you. in you. So uh, you know, maybe after he steps down, you step in. That's what, that's my goal. That's my long-range goal. You got well, thank you. Thank you, Bill. I will tell you, <laughs> we have a tremendous team here. There's a lot of talented I, I, people. I know and, there is. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, I... Um, I am really optimistic about the future, as is Kevin Roberts. I oh, mean, he, he gave a, a great, great speech to the staff. And I, I will tell your listeners this, that, you know, I think that having a focus on what is going well in our states, uh, where there's a lot of innovation and, and obviously change taking place, I think it would be a good wake-up call for Washington, D.C., where it seems like dysfunction kind of reigns supreme day after day. Yeah. So if you don't mind, Rob, I'm kind of curious if we can start talking a little bit about uh, the supply chain issues. You know, I see these uh, ships in the in the dock in Los Angeles, and I'm thinking, well, all right, let's get them, let's get them in and get the trucks going and get the supply chain going. What do you consider to be the, the problem with the uh, supply chain? 
Well, yes. Thank you for starting with this. I know it's on the minds of a lot of Americans uh, because they're experiencing challenges in, in, their, in their own communities. Um, and I think in some ways we all have over the course of the pandemic. But uh, at a time when you would think that things were getting better, um, you know, they're seeing empty shelves and they're seeing, you know, factories uh, not, not operating. Um, they're seeing it taking a toll on their wallets. You know, all of these things are, are combining, I think, to have uh, a, a real concerning effect on, on the American people. And so what's ha- why is this happening? What's, what's going on? There's a couple of different factors that I think are to blame. Obviously, the pandemic created a situation where it disrupted a lot of our, our manufacturing, uh, not only in the United States, but, uh, but across the world, frankly. But instead of putting in place policies and regulations to help improve it, we have an administration in Washington and a Congress that appears to be going in the wrong direction. And by that, I mean, rather than taking a a page from what seemed to be working for the last four years under the Trump administration, uh, you may have disagreed with Donald Trump on some things, but I I find very few things to fault him on when it came to the economy because we had a a tremendous situation. And and they put in place regulations, Bill, that have have really hampered uh, certain industries. And they're unable to function as they should. And they're talking about passing a multi-trillion dollar uh, piece of legislation, which is only going to bring more top-down control from Washington, big government socialist policies uh, from the nation's capital, and impose them on, on a lot of businesses, uh, which, is, which was going to mean more taxes on them, more spending out of Washington, more red tape. And I think that this is one of the reasons why uh, people are frustrated. And uh, like I said, there's, uh, there's other factors that, that go into play here. I mean, we can talk about uh, how vaccine mandates are, are forcing, you know, some employers to, to let go of certain employees. And, and all those things, I think, are con- contributing. But, um, but the, the message coming out of Washington, I think, is the overarching concern on my mind. And people are using the inflation word out loud in Washington? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, they certainly are. I mean, you, you, you hear it every day. I mean, definitely more on the side of Republicans than Democrats. Um, I think they see uh, a political opportunity here, uh, just to be straight with your, your audience. I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat it. And, uh, and they um, have an important race in, in Virginia this year. It's a tight race between the Republican and the Democrat. And so it's having an impact there. Um, the Democratic candidate, Terry McAuliffe, has admitted that Joe Biden is unpopular, and that's why he's not necessarily embracing him and campaigning with him. And so inflation is a big reason uh, for that. Now, uh, you know, there are some who still make the argument that, you know, inflation isn't as, as, as bad as it necessarily um, has been in the past. And I think that month after month, we still continue to see those 5% increases. And when, when, those, when the costs of our, our goods are outpacing, uh, you know, our, our, our income, that's something that I think hits the American people in a way that uh, they feel the real effects every day. Yeah, there's, there's no question when you see the prices going up at the pump and the uh, grocery store and places where you, you start to feel it immediately, uh, I know that starts to rattle people's confidence in, in terms of uh, what's going on with uh, their pocketbooks and what direction the country's going with inflation and all of that. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and you can look at certain parts of the country that are, are, are having a harder time than others. I mean, California is an example of this. I mean, California already has uh, really some strict labor and environmental regulations in place. Uh, they passed something called uh, Assembly Bill 5, uh, which puts restrictions on, on workers. And, uh, and then you have, you know, also these new demands coming from, from a lot of the unions. 
and they're unable to get the uh, the ships unload the container ships unloaded fast enough at the ports and the truckers are waiting. I mean, there it's just like, this is why we call it the supply chain and it's so critical. And, and when one element or one piece of that does not function properly, it can really have ramifications down the road. And that's why you have people saying, Hey, buy your Christmas presents early because you know, if we wait too late, they might not be able to be delivered in time. And, uh, and, you know, I, I certainly hope that when it comes to grocery stores, uh, we, we know we went through this early in the pandemic when you, I would go to the grocery store bill, and I'm sure same situation for you, uh, you'd find things like, you know, paper towels and tissues and other supplies like that, which just couldn't be found, or they put strict limits mm-hmm. on how many could be purchased. Yeah. And there was also certain food items, too, which were um, kind of scarce, uh, packets of chicken breasts and things like that were pretty picked over. Well, my, my kids love eating hot dogs, and I remember for, <laughs> for a few weeks there not being able to find it, and I said, what am I, <laughs> I going to feed my kids? No, so, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely, uh, definitely something that is, I think, uh, people can, can start to feel, and they can see it. I mean, they see it on social media, and they, uh, they see it for, with their own eyes when they, when they go out to stores. And this is something that I think it's difficult for, for the president of the United States to simply give a speech and overnight change things. I know, you know, he talks about 24-hour work shifts for, for the, you know, FedEx and UPS. But again, that's just one piece of it. And, uh, and if you have a situation where only, you know, one of the, the, the six uh, lines is open at the L.A. port, uh, you know, for, on a 24-hour period, that's probably only going to put a little dent in the problem. And uh, and we need to modernize and uh, and get into get up to speed in terms of what are some of, some of our global competitors are doing. And uh, and that's difficult to do overnight, particularly when we have a labor shortage and we cancel all the jobs that are open. Yeah, good point. Rob Lewis, my guest, executive editor at the Daily Signal. Rob, you're a parent. You live in Virginia. Tell me about your response to what's going on with the school boards. Yes. Well, there are uh, some big focuses uh, in, in particularly northern Virginia because of what happened in Loudoun County. It's a county that borders the county that, uh, that I live in. And Loudoun County is, uh, for your listeners, just to give them some, some perspective, uh, one of, if not the wealthiest county in the country. So you have a lot of affluent people who live there. It's also been ground zero when it comes to uh, two things, uh, critical race theory and schools, and also uh, transgender issues and, and the, kind of the, the debate over locker rooms and bathrooms and who should be allowed to use them. And recently it was, it was reported by the Daily Wire um, uh, that, that Loudoun County essentially covered up um, a sexual assault that took place. Uh, involving a transgender student and another female um, in, in its own school. And it led to the resignation of one of the board members uh, last week. So big news. Uh, I think it's just uh, another example of how citizens are speaking up and holding their elected re- uh, representatives accountable, uh, not just in Washington, D.C., but at the local level uh, when it comes to school boards. I know that we have talked to candidates who have run for school boards successfully and one, and how they're trying to bring change to, to their local communities. So I encourage uh, citizens to get active and involved, and, um, and hopefully, Bill, uh, it'll result in, in better policies for our students because ultimately they're the ones who are going to be impacted most uh, by what takes place, what decisions the school board ultimately makes. Yeah, there was talk about parents should not be involved in what the, the schools teach, and they talk about the state uh, boards being the ones who decide what gets taught. Uh, as a parent, uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, yeah. So it, this is a this is a debate that I think conservatives and Christians should think long and hard about because traditionally and historically, since the founding of our country, we have not wanted a centralized power in the nation's capital dictating curriculum for schools. Um, for instance, if you go to a private school and uh, it's a religious affiliated school, you want those who are in charge of that school to be making those decisions, those who are closest to the parents and the students to make those decisions. And I think that if we uh, depending on what regime is in power in Washington, D.C., they can make decisions that run counter to probably what half the country thinks. And so I always am an advocate for having uh, local control of education. And I think that that's ultimately where it benefits um, the students the most. Uh, there are some states that have taken steps to provide not, – not to dictate curriculum, but to put in place some requirements. So like, for instance, I know Arizona has a, has a situation where uh, they have a civics test that they um, want students to take so they can have a basic understanding of American history. And I think steps like that are really valuable and encouraging, much in the same way that I know my kids take a, a lot of tests you know, to, to evaluate kind of – uh, not only their progress, but to evaluate the teacher's performance and the school standing, you know, in the community. And so I think that if you're, you know, you're doing all of those things, uh, you should also making sure that the students are, are getting some basic knowledge of, of those things that uh, are so essential, I think, for them to be active citizens in the future. And if we're not teaching them about American history and some of those lessons that uh, I know I, I received when I was in, in school, um, that's a, you know, that's a shortcoming on the school's part. And, uh, Bill, you know, I always advocate parents being heavily involved mm -hmm. in, their, in their kids' education. And I, I think that we, we, we should do that. But at the same time, we, we can't do it all. On, it can't be all on our backs. But the schools need to be able to help out in that regard. Yeah. Rob Blue is my guest. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with lots more. Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, Kelvin Cochran, oh my, former Atlanta fire chief. Let's see, he served as a firefighter for three decades. He was named Fire Chief of the Year in 2012 by former President Barack Obama. And he also was appointed him as the U.S. Fire Administrator, the highest fire service post in the nation. Then what happened? Yeah, well, we exactly <laughs> we we have uh, we have featured the story of Calvin Cochran on the Daily Signal in the past, and uh, and Bill, I'll tell you, it's it's one that still kind of tugs at your heart because you you just feel for for this gentleman and uh, and what he's had to endure. But yes, essentially fired because of uh, his views on marriage uh, and the biblical view of marriage, and um, and I think it's it's so sad that somebody who had all of these. Uh, qualifications and great credentials, um, but held a view that was contrary to, I guess, popular opinion in that community and suffered the consequences and, and lost his job as a result. So um, one of the things that we do regularly at The Daily Signal is try to find these stories and, and give people an opportunity to hear uh, more about them, because we think that it's probably not an isolated incident. We think that it's probably happening to other people in different communities. And so I, I commend uh, uh, Calvin Cochran for speaking out and uh, and at least telling his story. 
Yeah, it's it's a, a moving story, and I, he, the guy has this stellar reputation and this amazing career, and he is a man of faith that just expressed that marriage is between a man and a woman, and Kapawi, there he goes. Yeah, I mean it's it's based entirely on his uh, his his faith and belief in God, and um, and uh, again, you you are just moved listening to him. And Virginia Allen, my colleague, did did a podcast interview, so your listeners can go and uh, and actually listen for themselves if they'd like. But I mean, Bill, I'm telling you, um, he remains optimistic and hopeful uh, despite all that he's he's had to go through and and suffered. And I think that hopefully that brings. Um, that, that, that gives hope to others, uh, because I know that it can be difficult. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't you know, wish anybody being in a situation like he's had to face. And, um, and fortunately, he has some good allies who, ha- who are helping him. And, uh, and, and, you know, in so many of these cases, they end up in court. And, uh, and fortunately, uh, you know, for those of us who, who share these beliefs, uh, the court's been, you know, more often than not, the Supreme Court, that is, siding, uh, siding with us. Uh, because I think they recognize the Constitution provides uh, this uh, this protection uh, for us to you know have these religious beliefs and and be able to exercise exercise our faith and uh, in the work that we do. Yeah, these great stories are up at DailySignal.com. You can head over there and read them for yourself. Rob, former Today uh, host, co-host uh, Katie Couric, I thought did something kind of interesting. She admitted in her memoir, going there, that she edited a two. 2016 interview with uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, to protect her. What was she protecting Ginsburg from? <laughs> yes, she was protecting her because Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, made comments about the NFL's uh, national anthem protest. You might remember years ago when Colin Kaepernick and and others uh, were kneeling in protest during the national anthem. Uh, that Ginsburg said uh, that she thought that the protesters were quote stupid and quote arrogant. Uh, she uh, called them uh, useful folly, and uh, and those comments that, that you said Katie Couric edited out um, are now finally coming to light. Of course, after uh, Justice Ginsburg has has passed away, she she died last year. But I think it's just another example of media bias. Uh, and in this case, um, the the person responsible for it is is outing herself. So uh, I guess some kudos to Katie Couric for not keeping it a secret forever. But at the same time, uh, you know, think about how that could have shaped or changed the conversation at the time if a noted liberal uh, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg's voice was was part of the equation. Yeah, good point. All right, Rob, let's shift back to Congress and this $3.5 trillion tax uh, package they've got. Uh, there's some fluff in there, isn't there? Yeah, there certainly is, Bill. I mean, it's uh, it, 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 anytime you have uh, $3.5 trillion in spending, uh, you better believe that there's going to be things in there that uh, you know, we can call out as, as pork barrel projects. Uh, so like, let me give you a list of some of the ridiculous items that are in the bill. Uh, there's $13.3 billion, with a B, uh, to pay government bureaucrats to administer new programs. There's $4.5 billion uh, to pay them for housing planning. There is $200 million for something that's uh, being dubbed Nancy Pelosi Park. And uh, there's $25 million for anti-discrimination and bias training at uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. And I think, you know, in so many cases, you look at these millions and billions of dollars and you just ask yourself, 
is that really the best way, the best use of our tax dollars? And could it be spent in, in, in a more effective way? And by the way, doesn't the government already have millions and billions of dollars that they could repurpose for some of these projects? Um, after all, Bill, we spent so much in the course of the past year trying to combat COVID and, 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 and appropriating a whole lot of government money that's still in many cases just sitting in, in the government coffers, hasn't even been doled out yet, uh, that I don't understand why they need a massive in, infusion of cash like this. Uh, going back to the start of our interview, another point that I'd just like to make is when you inject so much government funding, government money into the economy, you're only going to make some of those issues that we talked about with inflation and the supply chain uh, even more problematic. It's just, a, it's just the nature of how things work, and we don't have to – we, 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 we seen, have seen this happen in other countries like Venezuela where they start pumping more money into, into the system, and it does not turn out well. Yeah, Rob, I'm I'm thinking of some of the cities now, like Chicago, for example. They've they're having a, a head-to-head with the police department with the vaccine mandates, and some companies are having some uh, challenges with their employees. And there's other companies like Delta Airlines. They're saying we're trusting people to do the right thing, and they're at 90% vaccination rates. So doesn't it seem more inviting to uh, let people say it's your health? We want you to do the right thing, and we encourage you to get the vaccine, but we're not mandating it. Uh, oh, I, I completely agree with you on that, Bill. And I, I had a, a fascinating conversation on the Daily Signal podcast this week with uh, two gentlemen from Rhode Island, including one who is a surgeon. Um, he is uh, he, he has had COVID. I should I, I give your your audience some facts. He's had COVID. Um, he has. Uh, a condition, uh, Bell's palsy, uh, or, or a condition that could be exacerbated by the, the vaccine based on his research. Again, this is a surgeon. This is a medical doctor, an MD. Yeah. And he has been told by the state that he can no longer see his patients. 2,100 patients are now looking for another doctor uh, because um, he has not complied with the vaccine mandate for legitimate medical reasons. And I think that this is just an example of how it's gone too far and where the state has um, overstepped its bounds. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, I I, I see um, uh, a little bit of hysteria in some places and calm in other places. I don't know why we can't get on the same page across the country. Well, you're absolutely right. And the the point that he makes is he spent a year seeing patients before the vaccine was even developed. And he did so in a way that kept them safe and healthy. And uh, and why all of a sudden we're now calling this a pandemic of the unvaccinated and we're trying to shame the unvaccinated um, who might have legitimate medical reasons or other reasons uh, that they have for, for not taking the vaccine. Um, they're now losing their jobs. We saw that in Washington State uh, with the football coach. I mean, it just goes down the line, Bill. Yeah. Rob, as always, thanks for uh, spending time with me today. I know it's uh, end of your day because you're an hour ahead of uh, me here in Minnesota, but I appreciate you uh, always being so faithful and coming on the show. Thanks, Bill. Another great conversation. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a good uh, hot dog dinner with your kids. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. All right. See you later. Rob Blue has been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. And after a short break, Dr. Greg Borgon is going to be coming into my studio, and we're going to be learning from the doctor. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Dr. Greg Borgon's in studio with me today, and we're going to talk about uh, David and Uriah. Well, there's a lot to learn from that story, and we're going to find out what it is. And Greg Borgon's the founder and president of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. Greg, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So uh, Uriah is one of your heroes, huh? Yeah, he is. Uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised that somebody hasn't come out with a movie of this whole scenario with David, Uriah, and even the prophet Nathan, because yeah. it's it's really compelling. But there are a lot of practical lessons we can learn, and there's lessons of hope in this, even though uh, the dire circumstances of the situation uh, would seem to indicate otherwise. Yeah, and Uriah was a Hittite, and I have to admit, I have no friends that are Hittites. Yeah, it's interesting. Hittites, um, they're mentioned in over 50 times in the Bible. They're descended from Heth, the son of Canaan, who was a great-grandson of Noah, of course, and they ruled the area of Syria and eastern Turkey and battled with Egypt and Babylon uh, uh, for territory. Babylonian and Assyrian records refer to Syria and Israel as uh, Hittite land, really, and includes their territory as a great part of the promised land for Israel. So Abraham um, was well acquainted with them. He bought the burial cave, really, for Sarah from them in Genesis 23, Esau took wives from the Hittites, and Uriah the Hittite, of course, was one of David's mighty men. Uh, the Hittites are mentioned throughout the the, the kingdom uh, years and after the Jews returned to captivity. But chances are they're just more absorbed into uh, the culture of that day, uh, so their identity really went away. All right, well, that's a nice little introduction to this. Um, I... Um Where do you find, is it 2 Samuel 11? Yeah, that, uh, 2 Samuel 11 begins the story. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So um, the fact that, that Uriah was one of David's mighty men, your audience might like to know where that actually came from. It's in 2 Samuel 23 and 1 Chronicles 11. It lists a group of people known as the mighty men of David or David's mighty men. They're also referred to as the 30 chiefs in 1 Chronicles and simply the 30. These uh, mighty men of David were a group of David's toughest military warriors who were credited with a really heroic acts and feats, including one who killed 800 men in one battle with a spear. You know, I read that the other day, and I thought, how does one do that? Yeah, I, I can't imagine that myself. And you kill 800 people. No, although the mighty men are called the 30, a total of 37 are actually listed, meaning that not all of these men were on the team the entire time. Some of them, like Uriah, were killed in battle during David's reign. Another explanation may be that David's elite group of mighty men numbered approximately 30, a figure not really meant to be exact. But David's mighty men served as an important role in protecting the king and fighting for the freedom of their nation, the land of Israel. So Uriah was already a hero. So why don't we pick up the story about what actually transpired between David and Uriah and even the prophet Nathan. So we also know that that, uh, Uriah was the husband of Bathsheba. There's much we can learn from Uriah and the account uh, really involving him. One of the things I love about the Bible, Bill, is its honest and candid treatment of mankind with all of its failings displayed in bold relief. There's no glossing over it. So... um, 
all who were counted among David's mighty men were men David deemed to be really trustworthy. In the account of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah, we see just how honorable Uriah was. The story is found, as, as we know, in Second Samuel 11, and it's described so clearly in an article that was posted in gotquestions.org. During the spring, the usual time for battles, the military forces of Israel went to war against the leadership under the leadership of General Joab. Now, it's interesting about Joab, just as a point of reference, uh, for all of his faults, um, he was actually the one responsible for killing one of David's sons, Absalom, whose beautiful hair was caught in a tree, yeah. killed him with um, three uh, javelins. Um, but anyway, Joab, uh, he's ought to be given credit for his loyalty to David for those four decades. But he was also complicit in some things, too. He's cons- uh, he counseled David when David sinfully uh, desired to take the census. If David had heeded Job's uh, advice, he could have probably spared his nation the plague that befell uh, Israel in 2 Samuel 24. When David was on his deathbed, Joab conspired with Adonijah to install him as the next king instead of Solomon. This action, plus Joab's uh, other rash decisions, vengeful murders, and inability to take certain important orders, finally drove David over the edge. As a matter of fact, David commanded Solomon to ensure Joab's execution, an act that was carried out um, uh, and uh, uh, as Joab was clinging to the horns of an altar in the hopes of finding clemency. Wow. So that's General Joab. So in any case, while King David remained in Jerusalem, Joab was leading the, the army. As David was walking around one day, and this is probably familiar to most of our hearers, he s- saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof of her house and was intrigued by her beauty. So he sent someone to ask about her and discovered she was Uriah's wife. And you'd think he would have stopped right there, but he didn't. Unfortunately, that knowledge, um, it it didn't uh, dissuade David from acting on his lust. So the king summoned Bathsheba to the palace and he slept with her. As a result, she became pregnant. Now, after Bathsheba told David that she was pregnant, he tried to cover up his adultery. His first plan was to call Uriah home from battle. After asking how the battle was going, David took Uriah to go to his, uh, told her Uriah to go to his house and even sent along a gift for him. The idea was that while he was home, Uriah would sleep with his wife, and thus he and others would think that the coming child belonged to Uriah. But Uriah was a man of principle. He did not go back to his house, but remained at the palace entrance among the king's servants. When David learned of this next morning, he asked Uriah why he hadn't gone home. Uriah said to David, and I'm quoting from scripture here, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife. As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. There's the honor yeah. and the loyalty of a, yeah. a mighty man David's of God. David's plan's going in the tank, too. <laughs> yeah, and it gets worse. It seems like when you're bent on sinning and you start to go down that slippery slope, you gain so much speed, it's impossible to stop and turn back. And so David just makes things worse. 
Though Uriah had been granted a temporary reprieve from battle by the king, he was a true soldier and chose to remain focused on his mission. Uriah could not fathom indulging in his own pleasures while his band of brothers were fighting a battle that still needed to be won. Mm-hmm. David used Uriah to stay one, or asked Uriah to stay one more day and invited Uriah to eat and drink with him. David plied him with alcohol, and Uriah got drunk, but that night he still refused to return to his house in his wife's embrace. Even drunk, Uriah retained his honor as a soldier. Now, seeing that his plot, David's plot, to make Uriah believe the baby was his is not going to work, David turned to another even more sinister plan. Like you say, uh, Greg, it just gets worse. Just gets worse, and the slope gets slippier, and and, and the descent is faster. The king sent Uriah back to the battle, bearing an official letter that instructed Joab, the commander of the army, to place Uriah where the fighting was fiercest and then to withdraw from him, leaving Uriah to die at the hands of the enemy. Okay, Okay, David sent Uriah with his own death letter. Yes. And and Uriah obviously didn't open it. Right. <laughs> so because he's an honorable man. Yeah. Oh boy. So in any case, uh, when he sent that letter back to place Uriah in the front of all of the heaviest fighting and then to withdraw from him, not only did Uriah die at the hands of the enemy, but Job's uh Job, Job some of the other warriors died as well. Job followed orders, and, and Uriah the Hittite was killed, along with some other of David's army. A messenger brought news of Uriah's death to David, who sent this message back to Joab. Now, this seems to me to be such a calloused, uncaring response. Here's what David said, according to 2 Samuel eleven twenty-five: Don't let this upset you, Joab, he's saying. The sword devours one as well as another. Ouch. Ouch is right. So murdering Uriah did not resolve David's problems, however. After a time, uh, the morning ended. David took Bathsheba to be his wife, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord, according to 2 Samuel 11, 27. God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David regarding this sin, and he was really crafty on how he brought David to the point of understanding how terrible the sin was. So Nathan told a story of a rich man with many sheep and cattle and a poor man who had only one ewe lamb that was like a daughter to him. The rich man refused to use the sheep of his own to prepare a meal for the traveler, and instead he took this poor man's sheep, this ewe. David burned with anger against the man, it says in Scripture. It even said the man should die and must pay four times the amount the lamb was worth. Then Nathan said to him, you are that man. Now, that must have been a rude awakening oh, for yeah. David. Yeah. The prophet proceeded to describe all that God had given David and God's willingness to give more. He asked why David had despised God's word by doing evil, having Uriah killed and taking Uriah's wife. Wow. Greg, let's take a little break. There's a lot sure. to chew on right, right there. Uh, incredible story. And this whole idea that uh, once you get on the slippery slope of sin, it just gets worse and worse it and worse. It just does. It gets slippery. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Greg Borgon's my guest. We're talking about David and Uriah. And this is right out of Second Samuel chapter 11. So if you have your Bible open, that's where you go. After a short break, we'll be back with more.
That theme song belongs to Dr. Greg Borgon from heartofawarriorministries.org. You always learn more about uh, Greg's ministry there. It's a powerful ministry. We're talking about David and Uriah today. And if you know this story, part of it is David sees this lovely woman bathing, and her name is Bathsheba. Is it time for a really bad joke? (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) If she was showering, would it be shower Sheba? (laughs) Oh, you've been on too long today. See what I mean? (laughs) It's just a really, really bad joke. But once you get on the slippery slope of sin, things get worse and worse and worse, and boy, David proved it. Um, Yeah, there was a book published by Yale one time, Why Smart People Do Stupid Things. (laughs) <laughs> and it talked about this slippery slope that you can move down this slope. It's like running downhill, and sooner or later, the momentum overtakes you, and you can't turn around and admit your guilt. You're too far gone. So you end up justifying everything yeah. that you've done, yeah. and you start to believe it's true. Oh, we, well, I think we see that in, in courtrooms today all over the place. Oh, for sure. You, the crimes are so heinous, and they've gone so far, they have to be all in with yeah. their ridiculous... Uh, excuses. You know, it's interesting. Repentance is so hard for a man or a woman deep in sin. Yeah. It's just hard to turn around and say, I was wrong and I take responsibility. Aren't they blinded in a way? Aren't they deceived in a way? Aren't oh, they... it's, just, it's like scales are placed over their eyes. Yeah. Their brain is, uh, their heart is calloused is exactly what and, takes and place. Can't, can't the enemy do some of his best work when you're living in secret sin? Oh, absolutely. And there is no secret sin because it'll manifest itself. Of course, of course. But I mean, so far, there's not a lot of people knowing that he's no, sending a, a letter to have Uriah put on the front line of battle. Except millions of people now who read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a good point there. So Nathan also told David that the sword would never depart from his house, that his wives would be taken from him publicly, and that his son... Um, and that the son he had conceived with Bathsheba would die. All of this happened. And it didn't stop there. It had to do with the rebellion of his sons uh, against him, Absalom being uh, a case in point. And so the sword never, ever departed from his house again. So in quick summation of David's life, 1 Kings 15.5 says this. And this is, now, you, you listen to the story, and you read this, and you say, how could this be? So here's what... 1 Kings 15, 5 says, David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life. Then it says, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Mm -hmm. So David's evil scheme against the honorable Uriah was a blot on an otherwise stellar record. Uriah was a casualty of someone else's sin, and we can say that today. How many people suffer because of someone else's sin. He serves as an example of loyalty and honor and a reminder that our sin has consequences beyond ourselves. I almost want to pause there and just let that sink in, because that's so true. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you think about all of the innocents that have died in our lifetime in so many different ways, abortions uh, in particular, and the innocent die because of the consequences of somebody else's sin. So, but we're glad to note that David, uh, he repented. As a matter of fact, in uh, Psalm 51, if I can turn to that, uh, and I think we've got the time for that, Psalm 51 talks about David's repentance, which is 
why I believe that God could say to him, David has done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and not failed to keep um, any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life. So when you turn to 51, here's what it says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and clean me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your, uh, your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And it goes on. And this tremendous admission, this tremendous confession, uh, was what drew, I think, David to God's heart. So we, we move on. So we're glad to note that he repented and in uh, his confession to God in a beautiful prayer for all of us when we sin, really, we could turn that psalm into a personal prayer. All of us could, mm-hmm. various places or points in our life. So God also chose to give David and Bathsheba another son. As you know, his name was Solomon, who would become the next king and an ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah. So God forgave David just as he's willing to forgive us. Mm-hmm. So what lessons can we really draw from this? Well, number one, I believe I have seven lessons that I drew from this. I actually conducted a devotional with my two grandsons on these on this situation. So number one, before we condemn David's behavior, we need to be reminded that but for the grace of God, we're all capable of such treachery. All of us are at our darkest moments. Number two, Being a man of honor, courage, and valor does not guarantee a happy ending. Yet we celebrate Uriah's life because of his character, even today. So God honored Uriah and continues to honor him. Number three, God's grace and mercy is unfailing even when we're guilty of terrible sin. When we repent, God is ready to forgive as he did David. Number four, Even though God's forgiveness is available to all, the consequences of our sin lingers. The sword never departed from the house of David. When we commit sins and God gives us forgiveness, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden the consequences of our sin are going to be no more. Mm -hmm. In God's grace, he might get rid of the consequences, but that's a rarity. Mm -hmm. So we live with the consequences even though God has forgiven us. So the sword never departed from the house of David. Number five, sometimes a hard word from a trusted counselor is used by God to bring us to repentance, as was the case of Nathan the prophet when he, when he confronted David about his sin with Bathsheba. Number six, we often suffer the consequences of someone else's sin, as Uriah did, because of David's sin. Therefore, Our dependence on God for validation and defense is our hope. Someday, he will vindicate us. It may not be as today. It may not be tomorrow. It may be after we're gone, like in the case of Uriah. 
Number seven, God evaluates our hearts over the course of our life, according to 1 Samuel 16, 7. He found David to be a man after his heart, Acts 13, 22, even though David's life was one of contradictions, just like us. And that's from 1 Kings 15, 5. 1 Kings 15, 5, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So it's amazing to me, this whole story, the sordid story, that even in the midst of it, we can still garner from it valuable lessons for our own life. Um, when I think of my own life and some of the stupid things I've done and the consequences from it, um, I'm just so grateful that God has forgiven me. Yeah, and there is no story that God can't redeem. No. And you talk about starting on a slippery slope. It doesn't matter how deep it goes. It can always be turned around. There is no one beyond God's love. Right. His mercy and his grace. We might want to go ahead and write off the record of somebody because of what they've done, but God isn't finished with us yet. Mm-hmm. And it, it, there's a, again, there's a reason he's called the hound of heaven. Um, he will search us out and he will give us every opportunity to repent, uh, even from some of the most despicable acts that humankind has ever seen. And Greg, I think you would counsel anyone to spend lots of time in Psalm 51. Yeah. I mean, just take that psalm and turn it into the first person as your own prayer. I mean, it's a prayer of repentance. It's acknowledgement of God's sovereignty and his grace. It's a recognition that there are consequences to our sin, but we bask in the love, the unconditional regard for our well-being and welfare. We place ourselves in the hands of God, and we seek his mercy, and it's ready to be received Um, If we repent, if we turn from our sin, if we acknowledge our sin, that's the biggest step. And today, because we're so hung up on our independence, um, we don't want to go to God and admit that we're wrong. We'd rather live in the midst of our sin than have to acknowledge that we've sinned against him. And Greg, when we think about suffering the consequences of someone else's sin, as Uriah did because of David's sin... I mean, that's, that's all of us. Yeah. I mean, we're all... F- I mean, look at what's happened with COVID. You know, we can talk about what may have happened at Wunan, but the fact of the matter, somebody blew it. Somebody sinned. Somebody did something, and we're suffering the consequences for it. Did we deserve it? No, we didn't deserve it. But we live in a fallen world that's yet to be redeemed. And God's sovereignty gives us this amazing gift called free will that we can make decisions that have terrible consequences. But he is always there. He's the only one we can trust, the only one we can go to, the only one that will ever vindicate us. And your point of being a man of honor, courage, and valor does not guarantee a a happy ending. Um, Absolutely not. Certainly a noble life, but maybe not a happy ending. But, you know, it's a matter of how you finish Are you going to finish well? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how you start the journey. How are you going to finish? Be a person of honor, courage, and valor, even though the circumstances are overwhelming. Yeah, we're missing some of that nowadays, aren't we? Yeah, we sure are. Yeah. But I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to stay encouraged. I'm going to uh, be reminded of God's promises and the fact, like you say, he is going to be evaluating our heart throughout all of our life. Yeah. And... He looks at our heart. He looks at our hearts. 
Yeah. The behavior results from a corrupted heart, but God always looks at the heart, and he always sees something redeemable there. Even though we can't, there is always something redeemable. Yeah. He went to the cross. Yeah, and there's no person that's too far. No person too No far. person that's unreachable. Absolutely not. And regardless of how you have sinned in your life, you can repent today yeah. and turn your life over to Jesus and believe and in him. And God can change your life. Totally. Yeah, that's and you can be the person that God designed you to be before you ever came to be. Yep. Well said, Dr. Greg Borgon. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I know you've had a long day. I appreciate you making extra time to be here. Yeah, it's always a joy to be with you, Bill. Thank you so much, Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. And go to Heart of a Warriors Ministry, heartofawarriors.org to learn more about Greg. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, uh, Rick Matson and John Afonso are going to be joining me in studio. We're going to respond to three critical questions questions. I'm going to, I'm going to make you think and guess what they might be, but we'll be right back in a few minutes. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.